0: Welcome to the Horizon Managed Services podcast. I'm your host, um, Mitch Skarski. I'm here with Rob and Mike, two owners of Horizon Managed Services. And today we're gonna to be talking a little bit about what should you have in place for your IT. So this goes for new business owners and you know existing business owners, especially with today's day and age, it seems like a lot of people wanna start their own business, um, but there's not a whole lot of information of What they should be doing from a technology standpoint just because information is consistently changing it's rapidly changing especially within the it space so say for example like i'm a a small business owner right i have a small say manufacturing shop got you know three or four employees i've been in business for maybe a few years i have some computers in the office but how do i go about doing anything related to it say for example i have no knowledge of any it infrastructure at all how do I go about finding the right resources to, to implement for my business and knowing what to implement? Can you walk me through just what that looks like?
1: Man, Mike, that's kind of like the million-dollar question right there. The, oh, yeah. The, 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 there, there's so many variables to that. I mean, a a lot of it, though, stems, I think, for me anyways, how I approach that and having those conversations with with small business owners is it harks back to why they started their business in the first place. They saw an opportunity. They said, hey, I've got a skill. I've got a process. I've got something unique, a value add that I can do and deliver that will provide value to uh, other businesses, consumers, whatever the case may be, whatever their business focus is. And so they, they got in business to do that. They didn't get in business to, to kind of be an IT person, to be an accountant uh, and all that. And, and th- but there's kind of been this, historically speaking, this approach of accounting makes sense to outsource. Uh, marketing makes sense to outsource. But for small business owners, they feel, hey, I can buy a computer from Best Buy or, or Amazon these days and turn it on. I can install some apps and I'm good to go. And they don't kind of take that same approach of, nope, there's some specialized need. There's some specialized care and feeding that needs to happen. Uh, And so they don't look to outsource that. And that's where a lot of risk comes from. Uh, uh, Like accounting, it makes sense because, hey, if you don't do your taxes properly, you're going to get audited, you're going to get slapped with fines and fees, and you're going to be in trouble with the tax man. But when it comes to IT and cybersecurity, what happens? You lose some data uh, and and it, it... If it was the 90s, the early 2000s, your business may survive, it may not, but you're not, you you don't have requirements to report or anything like that. And and so the the implications, the impact to your business was lesser. It may be burdensome to recreate data or you may take a little bit of a a kind of a loss from a reputational standpoint, but everyone kind of operated that way. Now it's 2022, almost 2023, and... Laws are changing. Regulations are changing such that the care and stewardship of data, that is key uh, from a lot of like IRS is requiring written information security plans for tax preparers these days. And it's not just to get the ability to file. It's requiring things like how does the user, how do their employees stay secure? What policies and procedures do they have in place? But I feel like I'm getting a little off topic and ahead of myself. But uh, the reality is What we'd recommend is, look, you're doing what you do because you're specialized in it. You started your business because you have an idea about a specific process. Stay in your lane. That's the same approach we take is we stay in our lane. Yeah, we're doing a podcast, but we work with an outside marketing firm to help us where our strengths don't lie. Uh, Just like we outsource accounting. If you try and do everything yourself, you're going to be a great generalist and you're not going to specialize in any one thing. Mike, anything you want to add?
2: No, I think you hit it all pretty good. Um, One of the big things that I see is that a lot of small businesses think, oh, cybersecurity stuff, that's not going to happen to me. But the reality of the situation is that these people that are doing the cybersecurity hits, they're not looking for a particular business most of the time. They're throwing out a wide net and just, what can I catch today?
1: Yeah, it's you're not. They're not fishing with an individual fishing pole and a lure, like you use the perfect analogy. They're throwing, they're casting a wide net, and whatever they catch, it, it, it's gravy. It, it's it's something. And, and news sources, we all kind of like you watch TV or uh, movies. We all kind of have this image of a hacker with like a hoodie pulled over, coding away in the dark with just computer screens and code flying by. The reality is, yes, that happens, but not nearly as often today. I mean, most of the hacking that happens, it's not that the, the hacker, so to speak, doesn't have any specialized knowledge. Just like there's um, software as a service tools or cloud services for, for small businesses like Microsoft 365 or like Monday.com for project management, there are, on the dark web, there are tools that a quote-unquote hacker can go and pay a monthly fee for, have zero skills, Zero skills, like sign up and just click a button and start sending out spam and phishing emails to try and harvest credentials, or uh, for like uh, pennies, buy stolen credit card information and and start using it. There's the the barrier for entry is so low. I mean, you have to you know more as just a business owner uh, from when it comes to like the the minimums for running IT than a hacker does for how to hack. It's it's that
0: low that's crazy that's crazy so essentially if i was you know just picture me i'm I'm a hacker i want to you know get into businesses it's like how easy is it for me to target small and medium-sized companies or just a business in general is it something i can just basically you know order in my amazon cart and check out and pretty much get it running is it really that easy these days because when i picture it you know i see a lot of you know articles going around of you know cybersecurity buzzwords things like that but you know, usually they don't actually tell you what's going on. It's just a lot of buzzwords. And, you know, I was reading that companies should spend, you know, 3% of their annual budget just specifically on on cybersecurity. So it seems to me like a lot of, you know, businesses are getting targeted, but you just don't really hear about it. Um, But going back to my original question, you know, just as a business owner, so say, for example, you know, I run an e-commerce website. I have everything just on my, my laptop. You know, have a few employees. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy. I can kind of handle this on my own. You know, what what types of risks am I facing? And you know, is the likelihood that I'm going to get hacked pretty pretty high down the road? Or what can you say about that?
1: I mean, in, in that scenario, you're you four person owner plus three employees, e commerce. You you I'm going to assume those three employees are mostly fulfillment, two empl- fulfillment like shipping, receiving. One's doing customer service, and then there's you, the owner, doing everything else, right? I mean, the reality is the individual employees may not be a risk individually for you, but collectively, if you don't have kind of an understanding of what risks you're even taking by securing your data, like are you using two-factor authentication, are you using a shared mailbox between all of your employees and they're sharing a username, one username and password – or are you kind of uh, do you issue individual accounts and be able to track and ensure that, hey, we we ter- we're going to terminate uh, employee number four today, make sure that we can disable their access and that they're not going to take client lists or customer data or even. Have access to social media to go and, and kind of post harmful things. I mean, a lot of us have seen the 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 office episode where that that uh, the duck was watermarked on the piece of paper. That very well can happen from a disgruntled employee, and that's not even talking about like external hacking, cybersecurity risks. That's just internal facing security controls from an IT perspective. Like, how likely is it? Are you going to get hacked? I mean, it really comes down to a function of how exposed are you on the internet and what precautions you're taking. If you don't know what you don't know, odds are you're pretty exposed. And it's almost just more of a, mat- a function of time sure. than it is uh, a function of maybe I actually am secure. It's But a lot of what we've been seeing the last year, uh, both with our clients and with others, uh, other peers uh, at other MSPs that we talk to, is the insurance industry. Like you're a small business owner, you have to take out sure. insurance. Um, most business policies these days are requiring uh, cyber security insurance riders, or, or most good uh, businesses are trying to get those these days. Understanding that, hey, it's it's an it's a cost of doing business. It's a likelihood in 2022 that I've got some cybersecurity risk. But when you go and contract with those insurance carriers to figure out, hey, can I get this, or I've got it and it's time to renew, the insurance companies are requiring additional functions, additional uh, baseline security uh, to be in place, like two-factor authentication, uh, email encryption, disk encryption, all of that, which maybe you've got it, maybe you don't as a small business owner, but the one thing I'll challenge you is do you know you have it and can you prove that you have it and it's configured correctly? Sure. Because you, if you, you, anyone can say, take the form and attest, yes, I've got it. Yes, I've set up two-factor authentication. Uh, or yes, my, my laptop is encrypted. But being able to prove that to an insurance company when, not if, but when you you have a, a, an exposure event, that's the key. If, if you can't prove that it was configured properly, that it's been documented, that you've got the policies in place, then that, that insurance policy is just going to get basically thrown out all your premiums that you've paid are, are just for null and void, and you'll get dropped by your carrier. And then you'll have a much harder time getting any kind of insurance pr- coverage in the future. And that's just one implication, not to mention, let's say you're that, that fulfillment company. What happens if your, your customer data gets breached? Not, let's, let's leave credit card information out of it, but just knowing the first name, last name, email address, and, and shipping address of, of who you've sold to over the past couple of years. In the U.S., we don't have GDPR which like the the UK and over in Europe they have which is very strict controls and reporting requirements but if you sold to someone in California or you've sold to someone over on the east coast a lot of these California has it and a lot of other states are, are starting to adopt similar uh its regulation regarding re- reporting requirements uh for when data is disclosed or breached and this is this is just for a fulfillment company. You have to report, you have to show precautions, you have to notify clients, you have or customers, you have all sorts of things that it may not directly impact your bottom line because maybe you're still operating, but you're reporting, your clients know what is that doing on social media? What is that if it if it gets picked up by regular news cycles? What does that do to your reputation as a business? And it's kind of those those downstream trickle effects. The number escapes me. But it's it's it, it, the typical small business breach is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. I don't remember the exact amount, but that's just like for ten employee or smaller firms. Sure, it's it's an astronomical number compared to their likely annual operating revenue, um, and most small businesses, long like if they get breached. Well, you can look two, three years down the road, and that was the moment that they started kind of taking a nosedive, and it's you're trying to bail out the boat a little bit and trying to, to kind of right that ship, and it's an awful lot of work, and most businesses don't long-term survive past the breach, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and I, I saw some articles saying like the cybersecurity, if a business gets attacked, they're out of business within six months, which mm-hmm. is a really short time period. Just going back a little bit, I know that you work, basically, what you said at the beginning was, you know, the business has one expertise, they do one particular thing. In this case, say I'm doing an e-commerce, and you guys do your thing with IT. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how you go about, you know, crafting, you know, solutions for businesses? So say, for example, like me, I'm a small business owner. I'm aware of all these things now. I, I realize I can't just run my business off my laptop and, you know, not go about my due diligence. You know, what would you give to me in terms of value and recommendations about you know, protecting my business, first of all, but also you know, making my business scale and grow um, sure. in the future?
1: Sure. I know I talk a lot, so do you want to take this first and then I'll fill in, or do you want to ah, go for it? All right. So sure, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for us, we're, we're a little bit different than the average IT provider or MSP, managed service provider, in that we have the belief that it's kind of the the barrier for entry is being able to support computers, fix computers, install and operate networks, and do that in a secure manner what what the value we bring and, and kind of how we counsel our clients is more on process improvement uh, it's kind of we we kind of expect that any MSP that we can or any of our clients that we can do it that we can just do what we say we're going to do, but that process improvement that going the next step of going how can where is your business looking what are you looking at for the next six months a year three years five years kind of like i don't know if you're familiar with um uh, big rocks and little rocks and and the eos uh philosophy but it's kind of it's all about creating goals and milestones and understanding where where you want to be and working backwards to kind of build a roadmap to get there and so that's what we try and we kind of counsel our clients it's it's more around I mean, we kind of take the VCIO, I hate that term because it's so overused, but we we come alongside and say, if it plugs in, if it's anything related to technology, we will counsel you with it. We will work and and find a way forward. But what we want to understand is where are you going? You're looking for growth. What do you see on your horizon so that we can not only build a secure and stable environment for today's needs? But that can be that is primed and ready to take on your individual business growth goals. Sure.
0: Okay. Going back to a little bit, a little bit more, so this sounds great, right? But in terms of, you know, getting into the hard numbers, how Mm -hmm. much do you think, you know, a a small company, so say for example, I do a million a year, million a year in revenue. Sure. How much should I budget for my IT? What's what what would you recommend for companies to budget for their IT in
1: general? That's such a that's, that's such a kind of transient number cause it depends on a multitude of factors, but I mean the reality, let's say you're doing a million gross in sales. Um, you've got probably five or six employees. Um, you're looking easily, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like two to three grand a month, all in with hardware, with all the licensing, with proper security. Um, and, and so you're talking over the course of a year, somewhere between what, 24 and 36,000 or so. Okay. Uh, that that that's a safe-ish ballpark number. It may be a little high for some, maybe a little low for others.
2: Yeah, it's all it's all going to depend on really on the vertical that you're in. I mean, manufacturing businesses have different needs than accountants have different needs than, say, a medical profession. Yep. Sure, sure.
1: Yeah, and, and like on that note too. Um, like California, we don't have in the U.S. GDPR for reporting requirements. California has its own thing. Um, but medical requirement, medical businesses, regardless of state, have HIPAA compliance that they need to meet. Um, And that's very similar. It's not necessarily strictly focused on reporting and letting um, uh, clients know, but it's surrounding um, personally identifiable information, PII or PI, uh, and their kind of medical files and the fines and, and all that that go along with that, like a medical provi- business, would be more than the three grand a month just from all the, the policies that need to be there. Most of these policies are not write once and forget it. It's you need to write it. You need to m- document that you're maintaining it. That if the business changes, uh, has any kind of material change, it's reflected in the policy, and that you're reviewing it. You're training your staff, and that's that's why. I mean, in a lot of ways. Managed services in what we do is very different than IT repair, computer repair, because it's all about the relationship. These we're we're, we're kind of effectively your internal team. You're, you're hiring an entire team of uh, uh, of IT professionals uh, us as owners and kind of doing that that uh, V or C level uh, kind of uh, mentoring, I'll say. Uh, But you've also got service delivery approach. We've got technicians that are are boots on the ground. Uh, We're kind of covering a lot of different bases without you having to go hire two, three, four, five different employees to deal with handling all of that internally. And as a result, it comes out as a fraction of the cost of bringing all those resources internal. And it allows you, the business owner, to focus on delivering your business as excellently as you can um and you don't have to worry about technology you focus on hey i want to grow and bring on five more employees next year because we're about to we're going to be expanding into this new uh distribution method great cool we take care of architecting and ensuring all of that you focus on growing your business uh, but it's all about that relationship um uh, and that's that's where sometimes we engage with clients on this managed service approach and we're ultimately not really a fit because what they're looking for is just kind of smart hands, as we term it. They dictate, we do. And that's not the best approach because then we can't deliver effectively uh, and we can't provide true value to them. It becomes kind of a mismatched relationship.
0: Sure, sure. So going about that in the managed services approach, looks like a business owner can go you know, a few directions. They can either you know, hire people on staff, you know, spend the money, recruit, try to retain, capture that talent or they can go the managed services route. Now, say if I'm a business owner, again, I'm searching on Google, you know, managed IT providers, I'm probably going to find a lot of results, right? Absolutely. So how do I go about finding the right provider for me? Like what, what are some things that business owners should look for when trying to find a a managed IT provider?
1: I mean, I think there's a couple factors that can, that that can kind of guide success there. Um, I'm very much personally a handshake kind of guy. I I trust the person I meet with. If I don't have that good feeling about it, then something's just a little bit off. I believe there's a lot to be said about listening to the inner voice. But there's a a lot that can be done just in generic questioning uh, of Uh, You go to Google, you you, you can't even throw a stone out your car window without hitting someone who does IT work or knows someone who does IT work. And so just asking what their track record of success is. Like for us, we don't disclose client names. It's it's just a confidentiality thing. Uh, And so if someone asks for references, we go and and request approval from any of our clients before we'll turn that over. So that's one. I know a lot of businesses like that, that, that like to ask, hey, give us some references. That doesn't always work, especially in this kind of relationship-based approach. Um, you may or may not see clients listed on a, uh, an MSP's website. And it, again, it tie- for us, it ties back to cybersecurity and, and how can we minimize the, the, our client's risk, whether that's risk that they're undertaking or risk that we're bringing to the relationship, right? Because I mean, if we're providing services to them, we are a potential attack factor as well. So if we can minimize that attack surface, um, so you can't always rely on what's listed on their website. It, it's you, treat it like an interview. Like if you were going to hire an internal team or, uh, an it director, uh, so to speak. And so you'd be asking them questions like talk about some of your, your past successes, but everyone's got success for us and how we hire our team and what we look for. It's not about the success, but it's about when did you fail? When did things go sideways and how did you correct it and make it right? Um, I can, There's. I've got a great story. Uh, I won't use any names. Where, like, we treat and consider kind of our proposals, our offerings, like a uh, almost like a promise, uh, where we're promising you an outcome. Uh, and this particular client had a, a re- need for doing some remote work, and we we sold them on a solution. We promised an outcome where that remote work would be functional. We we believed we had the right solution in place from the start. We were proven wrong. Where it was functional, like arguably functional in that the car has four wheels and it can go down the road, but it wasn't functional in the sense that you can actually get on uh, the interstate and drive normal speeds and not be at risk. Um, and so instead, most MSPs, most IT companies would have come to the client and said, "Hey." we need to, here's a proposal to improve this. It's going to cost you X more, either per month or a one-off capital fee or whatever the case may be. We looked at that as we promised this outcome. We didn't meet that deliverable. We're holding ourselves accountable. So we went to the client and said, hey, we missed it. Here's what we're going to be investing in our relationship to make this right, to fix it. Uh, And here's what you can expect and some milestones. Uh, And the solution got delivered. We got it working. The, the, the remote experience was where we promised that they were flying down the interstate, not like a Lamborghini, but they were still, let's say they were at least BMW i5 series or something like that. It was, it was comfortable and it's different. The reaction we, we actually, honestly, I didn't expect this reaction from the client, but they were very frustrated at the start when things weren't working properly. And by the end, They've become one of the most loyal clients, not because we screwed up or made it right, but because we ultimately held true to the promise we originally made at the beginning of the engagement. And that's where, I, for me anyways, I put more value on the failures of the, the MSP and how they, what they did, how they did it to make it right for the clients than on their successes. Because successes are easy, especially in this day and age where just about any project, ultimately can be boiled down to reading enough help articles uh, after searching Google, you can make it work. But it's when things go sideways, how do you act creatively and how do you respond to shifting requirements or shifting expectations? That's the key for me.
2: Mike. And one thing that I want to tack on, um, love everything that you said, but I want to go back to one thing that Mitchell said, Mm -hmm. that there are two options, going for an MSP or going and hiring your own IT staff. And sure, going and hiring your own IT staff is technically an option for someone. But at the end of the day, you have to think about, okay, you're going to be hiring an IT person maybe too. Do you really know, you know, let, let's say that you're manufacturing. You know how to manufacture stuff. You know how to manage that process. Do you know how to manage IT people? Because managing an IT process is very different from managing accountants or managing a manufacturing process. You need to make sure that those IT people are doing their job, doing the correct things, and doing them in the order that they need to be done. Sure. You know, just going and hiring an IT person, it's probably not going to work out because you don't have the management experience for making sure that that, that job is done right.
1: Yeah, and beyond that, it, it goes to process. It's, you, let's say you hire an IT person. How are you covering their vacation time when they're out, or are they just on call twenty four seven? And they're going to burn out, and you're just going to cycle through uh, IT employees, IT people. But two, to Mike's point, that are how are they? Are you insured how are you ensuring they're doing what needs to be done in the correct order and correctly? Uh, And that's where a lot of process comes in to kind of accurately determine uh, impact, urgency, uh, any kind of like blockers or, or, or down the road issues that might stem from this thinking that understanding the client's business. Yes, arguably an internal person that lives 40, 50 hours a week and in your business may understand your business better than an MSP would who's going to spend, I don't know, 20, 30 hours a month working and, and keeping your systems operating, at least the typical MSP. But where where our type of MSP differs is that we're meeting with you. We're trying to understand leadership down to individual line manufacturing employees, what their job role entails, what some of their bottlenecks are, so that we can provide the guidance uh, on process improvement beyond just IT, it's real easy for, for IT people to say, let's throw a faster server at this because things are slow. When in reality, it might the server might be irrelevant. Uh, it might be a process improvement or a little bit of automation that actually drives a, a larger profitability improvement or a let's say you're, you're growing your growing business and be, we're looking at hiring three more staff. But just by improving a couple processes, you can hire two staff. Uh, and that which that reduction in spend and capital that you have to, to, to put out there ultimately generates more revenue for your business. You're able to grow. You're able to retain talent that aren't burning out. They're not kind of eight, nine to five, just scrambling all day. They can have a reasonable balance.
0: Sure. No, and those are really good things to know because a lot of people, you know, Going into this, it's like, you know, I need IT for my business. What do I do? But there seems like there's a lot more, you know, layers to it when it comes to not only selecting the service provider, but also what goes into it too and peeling back the onion layers. I guess pivoting to a little bit of a different point, instead of new business owner, say, you know, long time existing business owner, say, for example, you know, I'm another small business owner. I've ran my business for thirty years. Mm-hmm. You know, i haven't changed anything. you know maybe we have an i t guy that comes in every now and again. we spend like one hundred two hundred bucks a month on i t way below our budget. you know we do five million a year in revenue, but you know everything works fine on the surface level, right like we have no really i t issues We have an antivirus like you know if, if somebody you know gets a phishing email, we just make sure to delete it and on the surface you know there's there's nothing wrong, so why would I want to you know, select a, a managed provider, go that route. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, some things that they may be not are not seeing with running their environment like that right now? Sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing that you you said there a couple of
1: times is on the surface everything seems fine. They get the occasional phishing email. They get the occasional pop up from the antivirus saying, "Hey, I blocked something," but at the at, to the same kind of concept on the surface. It was a small iceberg that sunk the Titanic. It was everything beneath the surface that, that caused damage to the hull of the Titanic. It was what you couldn't see. Well, surface level, yeah, they could see it and they were turning away from it, but they, what they hit was under the surface. It's that that you rely, to an extent, you're relying on people. And people are fallible. We, like, let's say you have the best employees in the world. They love you to death. And they, they would go to the end of the earth to, to keep the business successful. They're still... The potential for them clicking the wrong button when that phishing e- email comes in if they or they're moving the mouse and they they accidentally click the the yes or whatever the case may be people are fallible and, and it's nothing against them but it's you're relying on hope at that point that your business is going to stay secure and and what we kind of provide is layers uh i'm assuming you've seen shrek and, and donkey he, the emotions he was layered layers of onions or whatever maybe it was the ogre i don't remember i gotta watch that again with my daughter but uh, um it's it's security is all about layers uh and, and all that every individual piece is fallible but where they overlap and all that you start getting layered protection so that if something makes it through one defense, it's going to get caught by another and that human layer never goes away. That's still a layer in this, this approach, but it's not the only layer you're relying on. Like, um, what do you want to add
2: to that? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you know, it's all about what's under the surface. I mean, you know, if you're getting phishing emails, okay, great you got a phishing email, deleted that one. What about the one that looks really, really good? I mean, these, these phishing emails, back in the day, they were easy to spot. But they are getting more and more, you know, realistic looking, I guess you could say, where it's really hard to tell, is this phishing? Is it real? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, an article I was reading the other day was talking about a brand new PHAAS uh, platform, phishing as a service platform, Really? where it is literally turnkey. It's, it's simpler than renting a car. And I, I kid you not, it's like signing up for Netflix, where you just provide a credit card number, you give them an email address and a password, and you then have access to pre-made phishing emails, pre-made landing page templates to try and capture login information already designed for and optimized for different countries, different potential prospecting targets. You can subscribe to a higher tier and they'll give you access to lists of of email addresses that you can just send it out to. You don't have to bring anything to the table. You just have to, aside from A, some money, and be five minutes to click a button uh, to set it up. And if you have trouble setting it up, they provide their own tech support with the subscription.
0: (laughs) They have tech support. Yep.
1: The hackers are providing tech support to the quote-unquote hackers.
0: That's wild. So essentially, basically, these these hacking organizations, they're not just kind of ragtag people. They're like legitimate type of companies essentially except they're doing illegal activity so
1: so you're a small business doing five million a year you've got an office space you've got um you've got your average line worker you've got your your finance accountant whatever on staff you've got some office space these hackers over in the the other countries are looking more and more like structured businesses where they've got floors of employees. It's kind of like the the whole uh, scam call centers that everyone's been getting uh, robocalls and scam calls for years on. And you can hear just the noise in the background coming from a call center. They're structured businesses in countries where it's not illegal to do what they're doing.
0: Really? What yep. countries, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, over
1: like uh, Russia and the e- some countries in the EU, Ukraine was one. Uh, I know it's kind of ill to talk bad about Ukraine right now, but it was quite common to come from there. And I mean, they have formal hr processes for their employees like it is a real business where just people show up and they get they don't have to have the skills they just get given scripts like you would have like your typical call center here where you've got scripts of how to resolve client issues and then it can get escalated up they have the same thing because it's a legitimate business it's not illegal in the countries they're in
0: and it's illegal here in the u.s ah okay that makes sense. So basically, if somebody was like, "Yeah, I wanna, I wanna do some phishing emails. I wanna do some hacking. All I need to do is just find these websites and basically mm-hmm. get some Bitcoin or crypto. Yep. Hit okay, and then I'm, I'm all yep. set.
1: Everything's pre-built. Yeah. And if things get caught by spam filters, uh, like you click the send, send my phishing campaign, and it, it's they guarantee delivery to Microsoft 365 and and Google for business or whatever they're calling their product today, uh, mailboxes. Um, and if they get caught. Their technical team will go in, discover why it was blocked by spam, fix the templates, and resend. And th- they, they do all of that. It's basically managed services for hackers. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's crazy. That's really, really crazy. Uh,
1: so when, when we say it, the barrier for entry is really low uh, for hackers. How
0: it, effective is this in terms of getting I, into businesses?
1: I'd say your, your typical phishing email is not in any way crafted for you or by an actual hacker. It's sent from one of these types of services. Okay. Uh, and there are, there are various tiers of them. They used to take more effort to actually get set up and it was, the, well, hackers would sell you a product, like an app, like, just like you'd used to buy like Word or any, any kind of video game, install it on your laptop, or you have to do some legwork and have to have at least some technical understanding. Now you have to have nothing. You just give them some money, and you click a couple buttons, and away it goes, and you just start reaping rewards.
0: Wow. Wow. That's really, really, that's scary to, to really think about, that there's legitimately organized businesses. And that's something that... It's,
1: it's not even organized crime. It's its like yeah. legitimate on the up and up businesses in other, other countries, building these tools to be sold uh, for nefarious purposes. And that's why, too, we say, and, and it's, it's, everyone still ha- not everyone but most small business owners these days believe that they're too small to get attacked because they, they still have this mental image that it's a hacker specifically targeting a business and the reality is it's just spray and pray it, it's th- they're hoping if they catch anyone they're going to net more than they've spent on the tool for that month
0: how do i spot a phishing email is how what, what ways do I go about spotting one?
1: Oh, gosh. It, I mean, it, they're, the way they're looking more and more like legitimate emails, it's getting harder and harder. I mean, the, the simplest way is to run some, some work with a provider like us or someone else that puts proper, like, email filtering and spam filtering controls in place um, so that you're not having to manually try and spot this. But at the end of the day, the human is still the last layer of defense. And look at things like... Hey, does this, the name on the email match the email address it came from? Like does Mitchell.skarski at onhorizon.com, like it says Mitchell Skarski, but it's then showing it's coming from like some random Gmail account. Odds are it's spam Uh, or it's not coming from your, the email address I know is you. Um, you can look at things like, are the logos looking correct in the email, if there are logos or colors in there, or are they kind of stretched or compressed? So they're like slightly askew. Um, you can, depending on the email client, you can hover over the link and see, does it go to like, if it's purporting to be a Microsoft login page or a link to one, does it actually go to microsoft.com or does it go to random or whatever the, like whatever it is. I mean, there's, it really depends, but I mean, they're getting really good. We, we, we block a lot that are Amazon type, um, spam or, or, phishing. So it's looking like, Hey, so-and-so shared this item with you on Amazon. Click here to see what it is. Or so-and-so just sent you a gift card on it, an Amazon gift card, click here to redeem. Um, and, and so like, and they look identical, like it, with, without automation. The average person's absolutely going to click on them.
0: Sure. So, if you, say for example, you know, you're really tired after work, you've had a long day filtering through hundreds of emails, you get this one, and you know, don't really you know look at it in a lot of detail. You can just click, and then boom. Yep, that's it.
1: That's it. You click there. Oh, fine. I got to sign in again. I must be on. Must have forgotten my password again. You sign in, and it doesn't load. And whether you realize it or not, you've now just given them access to your account, whatever that account is for. Or you've said, hey, this email address and this password, maybe it's not for anything. Maybe it's just Netflix, right? But you've now told them that this email address and this password are a combination that you've used somewhere. And the average person reuses passwords. Uh, So if you're using john.smith at gmail.com and password 123 as your password uh, at Netflix, you're probably, odds are you're using it somewhere else too. And so then it goes into automation takes over and kind of takes John Smith and that password and tries it on a bunch of sites to see where else it can get into. And that's where if it can get to Amazon, they can get at your credit cards. They can start seeing your purchase history, see your digital, they can scrape tons of information, um, and use it either personally or to try and gain access to your business. Like if it's not a Gmail, but an actual business email account, they can look and see, are there remote services that'll let me log into a computer? Or can I get into that business email account um, and start looking? Oh, hey, looks like they're a purchaser, uh, or they're in. They work in finance. We've had we had a client where they had access. They came to us that, and there was someone. They had a persistent threat in their environment um, where they had sat for about thirty days watching email correspondence between the finance team and a couple of vendors and trying to determine who internally would approve uh, purchases over certain amounts. And then they spoofed that other the approver and sent an email to finance team requesting a, a change to the routing and banking information for a vendor, saying the vendor had gotten a hold of them, and so that they were, but they like. It wasn't just burnt, the, the access wasn't burned immediately, they actually spent time assessing the environment to figure out where what, where, and what is most effective for us, where can we likely get more value out of this target, because they realized, hey, this isn't just your, your typical five-person shop, this was a larger organization. Uh, and so, yeah, most of it is spray and pray, but that can turn into targeted approaches, that can cost significant money.
0: Yeah, so it's basically just a numbers game, yep. you know, if you're, if you're sending out those phishing emails. Now, you know, say for example, I know that, you know, no place is you know, impenetrable for lack of a better term, but how do you go about, you know, if I was a business owner, how would I go about, you know, recovering from a cyber attack? So say I was breached, what do I need to do immediately? What do I need to have in place to try to, I guess, mitigate the damage? Um, uh
1: first question I'll ask is, do you have a cyber insurance policy?
0: Uh, let's say yes, I have cyber right. insurance. Then
1: it, everything stops. Your employees don't even turn their systems off. You contact your cyber insurance carrier because they will tell you the steps that you need to go through because every carrier is different. Uh, but let's say you don't have one because in the case that you do, you just follow their lead. They're going to engage forensic teams and, and go through a certain route. And if you have a policy and you don't do that as your first step, then the odds of them paying out or the odds of any kind of prosecution, let's say it was in a jurisdiction where they did catch the person and the jurisdiction could get prosecuted for it. It's not going to happen because the forensics just don't exist. But let's say you get breached, you don't have cyber insurance, It really comes down to making sure you have a qualified team um, that you can rely on where they can make the calls in the trenches. For us, we don't handle cybersecurity directly. Uh, A couple of years ago, we said, you know, just the kind of the temperature uh, of cybersecurity and the risks involved. It's getting quite warm. Uh, And for us to be able to do it and deliver uh, uh, a certain level of, of excellence to our clients that we hold ourselves accountable to, we said we need to work with an MSSP, a managed security service provider, to help us ensure that our clients are protected. And so for for us, let's say you're engaged with us, you get breached, let's say something fails. work first call, you're gonna call us, our first call is going to be to them. Their incident response team is going to get on the phone. We're going to get a um, like a, a bridge set up, a Zoom call, whatever the case may be. Where We're all getting on the phone, talking this through, engaging your, your cyber insurance policy, and they're going to work and kind of dictate which direction we go. Let's say you're a business owner and you have none of that. Uh, I think the first thing I could recommend is regardless of whether you're religious or not, just stop and pray uh, because... There's no good answer that can come from you have nothing in place and you've been breached. Uh, it, it really is a matter, in my opinion anyways, of how long is your business going to survive at this point? Sure. Trying to just mitigate damage. I mean, anything you want to add there?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, only other thing that I can think of is call the authorities. But
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you do that for everything but the FBI doesn't, because these are originating typically from outside the country and, and from countries that don't have like jurisdiction and, and the same kind of laws, it gets logged and, and that's about it. it you'll, you'll get a report, you, you get a police report so you can file against insurance, but if you don't have controls in place, you're not working with a qualified provider that ha- can prove that these controls are in place, the claim's going to get denied. Um, the one thing I will say in just about every case though, uh, at least for us is don't pay the ransom. Don't pay that ransom. Um, uh, not only from a, you, you have no guarantees that they're actually going to quote unquote, delete the data that they stole from you, but to most like 99 out of hundred times, the ransom is going to a country that is embargoed from the U S assuming you're U S based and doing that. If you were to pay that ransom, you get into legal hot water because those countries or wherever that that ransom payment is going is uh it's flagged and kind of typically supporting terrorism uh and so that's why like the fbi gets involved and says or no like there in the us there are laws about even what type of crypto you can use to make payments because certain types of crypto do support or are used uh, primarily by certain terrorist organizations uh, and so regardless of whether you would get your data back or they would delete the copy that they stole uh, and, and all that, you could get your, your business in hot water from making that payment, period, well, both business and personally
0: liable. Okay. Okay. Well, going into kind of the last question I have and then, you know, more about risks and loss and mitigation and things like that. I think that's been a really hot topic, especially for business owners and CEOs is, is the coming recession. Mm-hmm. Um, that's coming up. I know there was a study that was published, or I think it was a survey that fifty percent of you know executives are thinking about laying off employees soon. So my question to you is: is how does that affect the business from an IT standpoint? What should business owners be thinking about from an IT standpoint when it comes to reducing staff? Should they reduce their IT staff? Should they think about outsourcing it? What What do you have to say about that?
1: I mean. It's it's somewhat twofold and it's a little self serving, but I mean it's I, I typically recommend look at outsourcing. Um like there's there are is absolutely certain cases where having an internal team makes sense. But in a lot of those cases Augmenting that internal team rather than doing full staffing and all that. Augmenting that uh, internal team with a managed service provider like us, where it becomes a co-managed arrangement, uh, where we can be strategic and you can have generalists, or you can be strategic and we are generalist uh, in the environment. There's cost savings that can be had typically there, or if it's not even if it's cost parity there's additional value that we can bring to the table it's not for me it's not always about cost savings it's about the overall value of the engagement um, as far as just let's say it's not it p- people strictly that you you're letting go but as the reduction in overhead happens it's not linear f- from a how many people do you need to support versus how many systems do you need to support uh in order to keep the business operating. You may be able to let half of your staff go if your business revenue has dropped, but IT may still need to have a pretty large footprint because your business has grown to a point where you've got so many systems that require support and care and feeding that IT should be sheltered a little bit. Um, If that makes even any sense, I've got a scenario in my head that probably isn't playing out verbally right now. But at the end of the day, you need to think through as a, as a business owner that's considering letting staff go, uh, what risks are the, uh, is that staff that you let go going to bring? Not just from a technology standpoint, but from a, a, a knowledge standpoint. When you, you let teams go, obviously you lose um, employees that can drive work and, 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 and accomplish tasks, but how much of what they're doing day to day, their processes, their their tribal knowledge, if you will, is actually documented versus just living in their head. And before making that call to actually uh, terminate staff, make sure, like, I'd do a push to kind of improve everyone, and, and you could even frame it as a, hey, guys, let's build this process where we document everything so that all of our team has a better work-life balance. There isn't one uh, specific, uh, like, like owner of a particular process or or topic they may be the best resource but if they're on vacation if it's night weekend whatever if they're not on call someone else can step in and kind of find a way to solve 99 percent of those challenges and it's 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 not just the staff leaving it's the knowledge leaving from my
2: perspective that's the greatest risk yeah i agree with everything i don't think i have anything to add there Sure.
0: I guess just to follow up to that, what about different types of, of sensitive information? So say if an employee is let go, like things like how do you make sure that they're not actually, you know, say you, got, you, you let go of an employee that's, that's pretty ticked off and they end up, you know, downloading some files, say like a customer list or mm-hmm. sensitive information. How do you go about protecting that from employees that, you know, are, are off boarded from that standpoint?
1: I would challenge you that if you're the first time you're thinking about that risk is when you're considering letting that employee go, you're already kind of, you're too late to protect that information. A lot of that is are conversations that need to be had months and months prior so that systems can be put in place, uh, to protect the information, to, uh, alert uh, flag, let, let, uh, senior members know that, Hey, John Smith, uh, is downloading or, or saving the entire client list or a large portion of it, or they're trying to export all their emails or whatever the case may be, or they're installing an application uh, so that they can get back in after they've been terminated. If you're waiting until the 11th hour to prepare, you've already missed the boat to get onto it. You need to be doing that ahead of time. Um, it's it's The old saying is, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, it was yesterday. Second best is today. So at least you're thinking about it. But that may mean either you need to, as a business owner, accept the risk that you don't have systems in place to protect yourself today and evaluate whether this is an employee you can let go and accept that risk or whether it's an unacceptable risk and you need to get systems in place before you execute that that termination. Um, so that's kind of my perspective on it.
2: Yep, I agree completely. There are a lot of things that can be done to prevent employees from copying data or getting alerts when they copy data, things like that. But all of that needs to be set up ahead of time.
1: Yeah. Or even like in this looking to
2: get rid of someone too late.
1: And and even in this day and age, an additional factor to consider is a lot of, a lot of employees are working remote, whether full-time or part-time. And so things like full disk encryption and making sure that you've got a process that if you're going to let someone go and they are fully remote employee that, not just are you revoking their, their, let's say email access or their, their login to certain systems, but what have they downloaded to their, their laptop in the course of normal day-to-day operations that if leaked, if in the wrong hands, if just disclosed without context could have reputational damage to your business. And so you like having a system in place so that the, the laptop they're using is securely locked and wiped uh, immediately upon termination, uh, or that you just even what your process looks like. I mean, in a, in a lot of days, we talk about kind of worst case of what can technology do, but not every business needs every bell and whistle. It may be the case that a small business owner says, "Okay, these are some acceptable risks that I'm willing to take with employees because I'm we're a small team." And I have a really close working relationship with them. And if it's gotten to that point where they're going to be ticked off and burned real bad, then I'm willing to take that risk. Like I let the relationships fail for too long. Um, but we, we still want to put X, Y, and Z process in place just as a baseline, just as basic business insurance, effectively. I mean, in a lot of ways, business owners today of a, like your typical five, $5, $10 million small business, they got into the business what, 15, 20 years ago, uh, as an owner, or maybe they got in now and they may be a little more technically adept, but a lot of them got in when a lot of these functions, these features, these considerations weren't a possibility, uh, for small businesses. They were like major enterprise level things that you could, uh, before you could consider it due to cost and due to commoditization, those features and benefits are trickling down and becoming available to smaller and smaller businesses. And that's, again, it goes back to having a relationship with your MSP building that, having that kind of conversation, to understand what Mr. Business owner or Mrs. Business owner, what is your, what are your concerns? And then us having uh, as the, the MSP, the knowledge of what's available to go, okay, these are the concerns for the business owner. These are what we can do to address those concerns. And this, other option was never discussed because they didn't raise a concern but we should mention it we should have a conversation about it to see do that did it not get discussed because they had no idea it was an option or do they truly not care it's it's not the owner's responsibility and from our perspective to understand everything about technology they need to understand like well, before they come to us if they don't have a provider they typically need to understand enough to keep their business running But that enough to keep it running doesn't mean it's enough to keep it secure with the threats and just, I mean, good grief, the commoditization of software and SaaS applications, it's no single person, no business owner can keep their business running and keep a handle on every single thing that's going on in their business from a technology standpoint.
0: Sure, sure.
2: And back to, um, you know, terminating an employee. A lot of times, in my experience, the employee knows that it's coming. There's, there's, the writing is on the wall, so to speak. You know, whether it's from, you know, loss of revenue, and they have to downsize, or the employees doing a bad job, they, they know something's coming. Uh, Chances are that they didn't do anything. But how do you know for sure? I mean, all it takes is, hmm, I know something's coming. And, they say, email your customer list to their personal email so that they have it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Or they know it's coming. We've had had this happen with one client years ago where they had a sales employee know it was coming, uh, but they they felt they had like six weeks before a deal that was going to be known to be falling through, which was going to cause them to be terminated. And so in that six weeks, they made insane promises to other clients knowing that they would be gone as a sales employee when the the client wasn't being delivered what the salesperson had, had promised. And so he was able to, and he sent those promises out, committed to things that he never could have, or the business couldn't commit to, was terminated, and he deleted all of those commitment emails from his business email. And that business did not have email backup. Uh, and so all of a sudden, the client is coming and say, hey, you, you promised me you were going to deliver X, Y, and Z. You only delivered X. And that business goes, X is the only thing we ever had on order for you. And the client was able to turn and produce emails from them saying that they were going to deliver X, Y, and Z. And it cost them a fortune. Uh, yep. But had they had backup of the emails, they could have seen that this employee did this and they could have proven it. And its it, it all harks back to being able to prove what was done. Uh, because then, if they could prove that it was that employee, not just some like from a chain of custody perspective, prove it, they could have addressed it from a legal perspective. And yeah, maybe they still end up delivering Y and Z to that client to keep them happy because ultimately that business employee did promise something. Um, but there would still be some potential recourse on the back end for that business. But without being able to prove it out, there's nothing in that business is just kind of stuck and it happens. It's, it's rare when that kind of a thing happens. Usually, I mean, it's, they know it, you know it when, when someone's really ticked off, but it's still, it's risk at the end of the day, it's risk. And,
2: and in, in the event of something like that, if you can prove that entire chain of custody and that, oh, it was this employee that did it, there's a chance that say your, you insurance might cover it.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so for us, it all stems back to risk management, risk mitigation. And those are conversations that while we can't dictate what level of risk tolerance you have as a business owner, you can tell us um, and we can kind of tailor the solutions we deliver based on the risk tolerance that you have, what your concerns and considerations are, what general good practice, best practice, whatever practice term you want to throw out there is in this day and age for your, your vertical and your, your type of operation. Like there are some baselines that just make sense across the board, but there are a lot of other controls that can either be turned on or turned off based on vertical and based on, uh, different risk tolerances and cost tolerances.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been really, really insightful. Um, Robin, Mike, really appreciate you having time on the show for us to speak. Um, This concludes episode one. Um, Be sure to like, follow, share, subscribe, um, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks.